when I look at the mainframe, I'm looking at what are the controls that our customers need to secure that platform. Also, equally and sometimes a little bit more importantly, maintain their compliance. What they deal with a lot of the time is, yes, they want to make the platform secure, but they're dealing with audits all the time. You know, how do I get through an audit? And so that's where their big focus is, because the auditors are the ones that are really focused on, I'm going to make sure you're secure. A lot of the security personnel are saying, I just want to be compliant with what the auditors want me to be compliant with. Welcome to Conversations with Des. I'm your host, Des Blanchfield. Today, I have the privilege of being joined in the studio by Stuart McIrvine. Now, Stuart is the Director for Product Management of Security and Compliance, as well as Mainframe Database Tools Portfolio uh, at the Mainframe Business Unit in Broadcom. Stuart, welcome back to the show. You've uh, been on before. You're no stranger to our audience. You've been on camera with us before and uh, on the show before, but welcome back. Great to have you. Oh, thank you. It's great to be here. I always enjoy our chats, Des. So it's, it's, it's been a while, so I'm glad to be here. Indeed. We've got a lot to catch up on. Uh, for listeners, just to uh, quickly uh, highlight what we're going to cover today, we're going to have a broad conversation around, if you'll pardon the point of Broadcom, around the topic of mainframe security, and in particular, uh, what security entails in the modern world we're living in currently, um, and partic- particularly around some of the challenges uh, uh, and the increase and in, in, so forth, the incredible lack of predictability in this space, um, as well as what Broadcom is doing in this world to ensure airtight security for uh, the whole year's experience of their customers and so forth in the ecosystem around that. Um, but uh, Stuart, I wonder if we could maybe just start off with, uh, you know, how are you doing and what's new in your world? Uh, we, you know, there's no secret that we're in extraordinary times at the moment with the global pandemic and the world seems to be coping quite fine with that uh, uh, as we, we face through. So I, I know Broadcom's uh, uh, had a very successful pivot to the work from home environment, but um, I mean, how are you doing personally? Uh, and and what sort of the, what's happening in the, in, in the world of a day in the life of uh, Stuart currently? Um, you know, we're, we're, we're coping very well. I think, you know, Broadcom is definitely, you know, positioned as one of these essential businesses. So, you know, we certainly made a transformation, you know, we were, uh, you know, many of us uh, work from home on a rotation basis. Uh, so we've had to get used to, uh, you know, working from home and, you know, dealing with video chats and, and everything else. And, uh, you know, and, you know, even from my point of view, the additional security that we have to, have to handle and then one week a month we're in the office so we do uh we do get together we get you know albeit that social distancing uh facetime that that is needed once in a while but i think the company has adapted uh, extremely well and uh yeah, actually one of the things i've liked about it is you know prior to all of this you know happening um People tended not to really use their videos as much, but then there's just this need to see people's faces, you know, when we're working from home and everything else. So, so that's been a breath of fresh air, people switching on. Now, you know, albeit you see some ruffled hair in the morning and, you know, a different attire <laughs> than we're probably used to in the office, right? But, it, but it's really nice. I mean, we get, you know, a little bit more of that bonding when we're all so, you know, socially distant. Um, and, you know, we, I, the, the, one of the downsides, I say, days can certainly be longer, right? It's nice that you know we don't have that downtime where we're commuting to the office back and forth, but sometimes it's it's, it's a little bit harder to to switch off, right? So, yeah. so there are these changes, um, but you know, even with my customers, you know, a lot of my customers, um, unless I'm jumping on a plane 
um, I don't see them face to face, but now we do. You know, we got you know we've got these video chats that we do quite frequently with our customers, and I can I can see what the inside of their bedrooms look like and things like that. Nowadays, you know? <laughs> Whole new level of intimacy on a on a professional level. There is exactly. So, I mean, a lot of changes, um, some of them very positive. But, uh, you know, one of the things I've really, really loved is just so many people are accepting and, you know, are adapting and adapting very, very well. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how this evolves and, you know, how many of these changes actually become somewhat permanent. Um, That's that's probably for a whole other discussion. But uh, but yeah, but in general, um, I think, you know, we're coping very well. And uh, I'm not going to say business as usual, but uh, business is very strongly moving forward, you know, and, and coping with all these changes. So, yeah, so I, been- I think we're seeing a lot more of the uh, I'm sure the world remembers him, but uh, I think his name is that. Um, uh, Robert E. Kelly, who's a, a, a correspondent often for BBC, and he was on TV, and his kids ran into the room when he was doing that broadcast. Right, we're all we're all getting Robert E. Kelly moments. Uh, uh, in fact, my puppy dog, a number of times she joins Zooms, comes bounding in, sticks her legs up on my legs, and looks up and goes, "Oh, look, there's people on the screen." Um, yeah. Actually, there's an interesting <laughs> side note to that. I didn't know this, but uh, the average average animal, particularly dogs, um, can't see what's on an old TV because of the scan rate. But new digital TVs, and certainly the right. 4K, because they're not uh, having to work with the same scan rate with the CRT, but now there are LCDs, animals can see them. So uh, so when puppies jump on your lap and they look at the screen, they can actually see the humans, whereas they couldn't with CRT monitors. And I didn't know that. And I couldn't work out why my dog kept staring at my laptop when people aren't moving. Um, yeah, look, I think... I think Broadcom as an organization has been very well positioned to deal with all sorts of changes in, in, in global level, uh, uh, you know, without the current scenario as far as the global pandemic goes, um, because you, you've got such a global presence and, and such a broad uh, uh, organization, and, and certainly in the mainframe division that you're part of, and more so in your world because of the focus on security, I guess, that, you know, you're aware of all the key trends that are happening and all the key impacts. So you're seeing this that when, you know, the ripple effect of if something happens in one corner of the world, it's going to potentially affect the rest of the world. So you're across it, you monitor it, you notice it, you respond to it, and then you're prepared for it when it happens, I guess, in the difference. So this is not a technology issue that we're dealing with. But, you know, as unfortunate it is that there are a lot of uh, horrible things happening around it, as you said, there are a number of very big upsides. And, you know, whether it's uh, emotional health of staying home or whether you're avoiding the risk of being on the road in the car a lot, uh, I agree with you. I think there's going to be some very positive outcomes from this if organizations are very smart and i'm sure some cost savings as well i wonder if we could um before we dive into some of the the talking points we've got here because i've got a number of really exciting things we want to cover off but i wonder if for listeners that we could maybe just um delve into your role in a couple of aspects because you wear a couple of hats the primary one i guess is the the role of director of product management security and compliance which i'd like to dive into but also a new interesting one around the database tools portfolio um, mm-hmm. I wonder if you could just maybe give some insight into kind of, it sounds like it's an obvious thing when we think about uh, managing security and compliance, uh, the product space, but you know, in your world, it's got a fairly unique bent. I wonder if you could maybe just give us some insight into kind of what that role entails and the depth and breadth of that and what are some of the key things you're focused on currently just in, under that particular hat. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah, so you know, security we tie it very closely with compliance, and there's a, there's a very good reason for that. You know, we do, um, you know, clearly our work in the mainframe space. My focus um, is certainly on the mainframe, 
but you, uh, you you can't just focus singularly on the mainframe. Uh, the, you know, my customers that I deal with, you know, if they're doing security po- properly, they're doing it from an enterprise perspective. Mainframe being just another platform, right? So when when I look at uh, the mainframe, I'm certainly looking at you know what are the controls that our customers need to secure that platform, but also equally and sometimes a little bit more importantly. Um, maintain their compliance, right? Because what they deal with a lot of the time is, yes, they want to make the platform secure, but they're dealing with audits all the time. Right. And, you know, how do I get through an audit, right? And so that's where their big focus is, because the auditors are the ones that are really focused on, I'm going to make sure you're secure. A lot of the security personnel are saying, I just want to be compliant with what the auditors want me to be compliant with. Um, and, And that's a, it's a very interesting spin on it, because, Certainly, I need the controls that, you know, I can secure access to resources. I can prevent, you know, unauthorized accesses and all these different things. But I also need to couple that with how can I provide reports to prove that these controls are there, prove that these controls are working. And that's much more on the compliance side. So we have that balance of what we deliver there. There's obviously the controls that we need to put in place, but then the ability to prove that these controls are there and they're doing what the auditors want them to do, right? Right. And then... That's something that people don't often um, understand if they're not involved in security, isn't it? It's like um, you're not only just sort of trying to keep, you know, bad things from happening, but you've actually got to, as you said, constantly assure and and, and report to the the organisation that not only are you compliant, but why are you compliant? What's the depth of that compliance and... And, and, and what what makes that compliance real as opposed to just pointing it and going, oh, it looks fine. A lot of people don't understand the depth that you've got to go into to actually gain, uh, you know, or proof that you've, you've got compliance and security and that you are maintaining that and tracking and logging it. Correct. Correct. You know, so, yeah, the ability to prove and get the reassurances. It's just like you imagine, you know, just in our everyday lives, we go away on a vacation, a holiday. Um Nowadays, a lot of us have cameras and everything else. So remotely, we can check to make sure our controls are working and nobody has intruded and things like that. So it's having, you know, these additional capabilities, right? So you you look at it from that perspective, and then um, and then position that that uh, I'm doing this for mainframe, but you know, you I'm sure you probably saw that uh, Semantic um, Semantic Enterprise is now part of Broadcom. Yeah. Right? Um, so we have an extremely strong market-leading presence on the non-mainframe platforms too. And my customers, um, you know, they have an enterprise-wide view of security. It's not just the mainframe. And, of course, they want this seamless integration. So when I'm doing security and I'm doing compliance, you know, I'm representing mainframe not as an isolated platform, right, but as a part of the broader enterprise um, security plan, let's say. Yeah, and, and right, I, that's also interesting, isn't it? Because when you think about some of the tools and platforms that people are using, I mean, for example, banking and wealth management and insurance and so forth, often they're they're on a, a laptop or a desktop computer and they've got compliance security challenges from that environment, they've got security challenges from the network and the enterprise environment they're within. But then there's also the back-end systems that they're integrating with which which overlap, and, and they've got a be at the same level of compliance and security controls. It's not just a case of sitting on a 3270 terminal now that is impossible to hack and the mainframe secure. You've got all these other potential vectors that could cause havoc. Um, so I guess this is a perfect overlay for the for the new part of the business. Um, 
Do you see the controls, uh, sort of, do you see tighter tro- controls coming out of the mainframe space to then provide a positive impact on how the organization should behave beyond the mainframe spaces? Because I imagine that the controls are so much tighter and, and, and more stringent in the mainframe world for a bunch of reasons that there's a flow on value to organizations to say, well, if we're doing this on a mainframe platform, we could potentially flow this through the rest of the organization and get a positive impact as well? Um, actually, both ways. Okay. So you bring you bring up a, a very good point. So you know everyone will uh, will agree that there are so many sophisticated controls um, on the mainframe platform that you know no one would argue that it's the most securable platform as long as you configure those controls properly. Sure. Right. Um, so there's a lot can be learned, uh, you know, from that as we move that to other platforms. But having said that, um, there's been a relative level of complacency over the years with the mainframe you know this is secure and a lot of investment um you know from other vendors technology companies etc went on to evolving distributed security right so you know multi-factor authentication was born over there for example privileged access management role-based access control all these different things were born over there right and subsequently migrated to the mainframe Right. So the mainframe's done a good job of catching up on a lot of the modern, um, you know, security controls that, you know, that came from the distributed side. Um, But, you know, some of the processes and things like that certainly um, move the other way, you know, from mainframe to to platforms. Uh, So that's one of the things that that we've certainly been doing over the years. You know, multi-factor authentication is now available on the the mainframe. Um, We introduced reduced, you know, areas like, I mean, we've talked about this before, privileged access management, which until a couple of years ago did not exist right. um, on the main. So it's certainly the two-way traffic. You know, you see it both go, go, going both ways. And that's that's the right thing to do because they are different computing models and there are different security models that are appropriate for each. But there is a lot of overlap that we found over time, um, uh, you know, and these tend to migrate to their respective peer platforms, let's say. Uh, indeed. And as you said, there's so many upsides to this because uh, if you can find anything that's working in another environment and bring it to, to, to environment A from environment B, then, then there's, there's not many downsides. There's always upsides. Um, and I remember last time we were talking, uh, one of the notes I made was this, I think, you know, 2017, there was a report that came out that was like 53,000 security incidents just in that year. In 2018, I think the number nearly doubled. And then 2019, yep. it, it almost quadrupled. So uh, you know, there's so many new types of challenges in security with mobile workers and mobile workforces and distributed working environments, particularly in the current environment, that, you know, this is this is not just an important topic anymore. It's it's like the important topic because we hear about so many data breaches and we hear about whatever. And so, as you said, like the mainframe is one of the most securable platforms. But having said that, you know, if, if it isn't managed right, then it's got the same issues as any other platform. The other, the other hat that you wear that we right. touched on earlier was sort of the database tools portfolio. I wonder if we could just briefly delve into kind of what that entails beyond the obvious database terminology. Um, could you maybe just share a little insight into kind of what that entails on a day-to-day basis for you? Yeah, of course. So the, you, know, you look at databases, right, and you, you again, you look at the mainframe itself. Big aspect of the mainframe is data serving. So the, the database on the mainframe is is absolutely critical. And there's a lot of resources put around um, ma- just maintaining the operational efficiency of that. Um, a database on its own is somewhat difficult to manage. So over the years, multiple tools 
have been developed, and I say multiple multiple tools. You know, we've got dozens of them ourselves. Um, you know that that our customers use, and it ranges from you know how to more efficiently administer. Um, the database, you know, moving data, rearranging data, you know, reorganizing data so the database runs faster. Um, performance tools, right? So that whole runs runs faster thing. How can I analyze what it's doing? Where are the bottlenecks? How can I write better statements, you know, to access and move data around the database, right? And then just general utilities. Yeah, I, there's an overlap with compliance again. You know, you get audited a lot on, um, you, you know, the database, the content of the database, this, the security of the database, right, and things like that. So, so I spend my time there with my customers making sure we optimize the tools that help them, you know, optimize the whole operation of their database environment. Now, why did I, why did I pick up this portfolio as well? Well, a big aspect of Security, let's say today, is data security. And a big aspect of, you know, managing a database environment is the security of that. So it just seemed a very, very good fit um, to, to bring both of these areas together under, under sort of single leadership um, in the company. So, you know, over, over the, you know, you, you will see over the term, you know, uh, uh, certainly my tenure in this role, a lot more integration across both of these spaces. You touched on a couple of key points there um, initially in security around just maintaining uh, customer trust and, and certainly trust and, and comfort in the environment from a security aspect. And it seems to me that, that as you just outlined, the, the database space is sort of effectively aligned identically to the same basic challenges. I mean, we see, you know, we've gone through the whole era of the the emergence and, and growth and big data, and now we've got big regulation, as people refer to, and we've got compliance in security now we've got compliance in databases as you said so I imagine that's a fairly natural fit for you to, to take on that whole uh, database tools portfolio but also that it's a, a natural fit for you and that is that the compliances on both platforms are fairly similar um, you know, whether it's a focus on security compliance or uh, security uh, governance and security reporting you've effectively got that in database even though the database is a platform holding data and that's obvious but the compliance reporting and the governance around it and certainly the privacy components are now probably very very tightly aligned it seems to me like probably one of the most natural fits that uh, we could have seen uh, for something for you to take on yeah yeah no absolutely and and it's been exciting i mean i've really picked up this space uh, since kind of you know towards the back end uh, of last year um and don't get me wrong, there was plenty of security in this space. I think that, you know, there are still things we can do. There are always things that we that we can do. Um, you know, even just helping customers understand uh, that, let's say, not, not, not so much the t- topology, but what they have, what data they have, and, you know, do I have a lot of sensitive data, regulated data, everything else, right? Um, and it's really hard to do that without a lot of the uh, the security capabilities. So developing, you know, and I'll probably use this word a lot over the discussions that we have today and in the future, but insights. And this is one of the critical areas, no matter what part of the business we're in, we need, and we have done for years, needed more and more insights, whether that's just from a, data perspective from a security perspective from an operational perspective or all of them together right right? um and and that's one of the areas that i will continue to focus on because you know there 
you know, we look at the mainframe environment and, you know, there's, I'm not going to be shy about the fact that, you know, we've got a lot of critical skills that are, they're just retiring. Right. We're losing them. So the technology has to help all the, the new breed, right, of mainframers that are coming through. You know, the technology has to give them a lot of the insights that are retiring. Yeah. Right. And that's what we're really trying to do. We're trying to cap that knowledge base, you know, leverage that knowledge base, put it into the tools and make it easier for less experienced mainframers, you know, the younger mainframers to, to continue to operate the, the whole mainframe environment and to continue to make it secure and compliant, etc. So that's going to be key it's going to be an exciting time and and i think you know we're, we're moving to the point now where technology is a lot more intelligent a lot more savvy and uh, you know whether it's the mainframe environment with this application environment with this databases whether it's the orchestration of the environment itself and certainly as we move towards more of a cloud model and we're orchestrating cloud native apps and sort of you know containerized apps and they're running under different clustering platforms everything's more agile and nimble uh, we're doing sort of continuous development and continuous improvement the system actually has to be more intelligent. It has to be able to provide insights because they're becoming too big, too complex, and moving too quickly for people to, to be able to sit down and read every line of, of code and make sure it's going to do what it's supposed to do. Um, so I think it's interesting to see you know, the database is becoming so much more intelligent as well. So I, I think it's a perfect alignment for both of those. I wonder if we could maybe pivot now. I mean, one of the things I'd love to do is sort of get your broad view of the overall industry and some of the key trends you're seeing now. I mean, obviously we've got some fairly special circumstances currently on a global level as far as what the world's dealing with. But but above and beyond that, um, I mean, there's a lot of interesting things happening in your world. I wonder if we could maybe just start with a 30,000-foot view of sort of some of the key trends and events that have taken place of the last sort of you know, three or four or six months uh, since we last caught up. And then we sort of dive into some of the key things around things like your secure access cloud offering and some of the big changes around uh, semantic and so forth. Maybe just start out with a, some of the, the big moving trends you're seeing globally and, and particularly around the mainframe space and, and some of the recent events that have taken place around that world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, of course. Not very good. Um, so, yeah, certainly the, uh, you know, what you referred to, I mean, that the big pivot that we've all experienced um, this year with, you know, having to deal with lockdowns and, you know, uh, just a lot of employees of companies, you know, being pushed out of the office back into their their homes, and and from a security perspective, you know, it's it's made some big big changes. You don't have that nice protective firewall that you know surrounds us in the office. You know, we get the virtual, you know, firewalls now. You know, the yeah. the virtual networks that um, you know. Okay, so they do wrap around us in our homes and stuff like that. But you know, I don't have this person in a physical building anymore. Um, I'm starting to put a lot of strain on my my VPNs, and and one of the you know VPNs are great, right? But when, when I you know walk in, when I come through you know a VPN, especially when I now have thousands and tens of thousands of users, right? I put a lot of strain in that. Sometimes they can't even handle it. That's one aspect of it. The other right. one is typically once I'm through that VPN, I pretty much got lateral lateral access, right? You know. Um, and that's one of the things that, you know, we've done uh, on the semantic side with the secure access cloud is really maintaining that strong level of security that we experience in the office when we're working from home. So instead of just coming through a VPN and, 
um, really, you know, getting access to, you know, a broad range of applications and resources and everything else, it's done on an application by application basis, right? So, so that's critical as well. The other thing is, it's not acting like a, like a VPN, so it scales really well. So as this mass of employees has moved outside the office, Right, I still have a highly scalable, secure, secure environment. So that's critical. Now, one of the things I meant I, I mentioned there was <clears throat> that you know I do it. I give this access on an application by application. An application. I use that in the broadest term. The mainframe can be one of those applications, right? So now you know I'm maintaining um, a secure level of access and including the mainframe too. Right, so I'm going back to these points I mentioned earlier. We've got to continue to have this treat mainframe as just another platform, right? So that it's easier to manage my security policies. Um, and and as I look at that, and I'm uh, you know I've got all these employees uh, accessing from home. I've got some of these highly privileged users accessing um, you know these systems from home, and I, and they need those additional controls around them too. Right. You know, they're coming in from, you know, I'm going to say what feels like a less less secure connection. So I yeah. have to, you know, so that's the other thing is maintaining those additional privileged user controls uh, on the mainframe, more so now when, you know, I've got users working from home, um, et cetera, et cetera. So all these pieces are critical, the monitoring of what's going on. Um, but on the flip side of that, I got to make it easy, right? I can't make it slower, right? And more cumbersome to authenticate and everything else, right? Because, you know, there's clearly a focus right now on the productivity of our employees, um, you know, being from home. Um, and you and I have talked about this before that, you know, some companies are seeing that, you know, as, you know, we put the, the, current kind of geopolitical, um, you know, environment aside, there's not a massive drop in productivity, right? And 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 that that's key that if we're long term, you know, working from home or, you know, not being able to travel and the, these different things, we've got to continue to, to focus on that for just the general operational efficiencies um, of our businesses, right? So, there, you know, certainly a lot of uh, changes here, um, but I, I think companies are adapting well. Um, we're certainly, I know the uptick in the conversations um, I'm having with my customers on the security side is significant since this all happened as, as you know, as we adapt to, you know, this just this new way of working, this this new level of security. Now, I, I know I'm going on a bit here, but there's another uh, another aside that I want to discuss as well is never mind just employees working from home, but just let's look at uh, some of the the uh, the the different things that are happening to businesses right now. So we see that there's certainly a lot more online shopping now, online ordering of food rather than obviously we can't Indeed. sit in restaurants, okay? Indeed. Right? Now, what that, what that is doing is it's driving a disproportionate level of credit card transactions where the card isn't present, right? You know, what, they call, what we all know is the card not present transaction. So, you know, when you go buy something um, online, right, rather than physically present your card at a point of sale device, you see? Yep. Now, 
there's obviously um, nervousness around that because more fraud happens on a card not present transaction than when the card is physically present, right? So the underlying security around that um, also has to increase. You know, you get more card not present transactions. There's a little bit more fraud processing and everything else that needs to go on. So that's another thing that we we look at from a security perspective as the dynamics of businesses change, you know, the way transactions are handled and processed and everything else. Um, this is really important. And then the last point I'm going to make on this is you look at any one of these you know, credit card transactions, the absolute majority of the world's credit card transactions are back-ended by the mainframe enemy. Right. So, so, so the, again, the mainframe security is a critical component uh, of all of this. So I wandered around a little bit there, but I, I think there are some interesting things happening. There is indeed, and you know, I think there's some really critical points there. I wanted to circle back on a couple if we don't mind, if you don't mind. Uh, as you said, yeah. I mean, you know, the card not present stuff. I mean, we not only are we buying more online, but we're buying it more online in so many more complex ways. Whether it's our card linked into a third party platform, uh, whether it's a you know even a, a virtual card. I mean, these days I've got like three different virtual cards. I won't name the brands; they don't need the free plugs. But I've got three different <laughs> types of card from from different platforms that I've got uh, on my phone, and I'd actually need the card in my personal pocket or at home. So even if I am in person at the store, I just touch my phone. <laughs> it's just right. a, it's a token of some form that sits there and says, "Hi, I'm a you know let's say Mastercard or Visa or Amex, whatever." Um, but as well, some of the online spending behavior now, I'm buying lots of little things and more rapidly and more complex. And, and whether I stick it in through my credit card, whether I do it through a PayPal, whether it's through a third party payment gateway, all of that's got to be secured. It's getting more messy, more fragmented. I'm doing it more rapidly from places around the, you know, the number of times now, given the current scenario we've got, but also even if I'm in a hurry, I'll pre-order with an app for a cafe up the road and just it's there ready for me to pick up and go. Like, so they, they, all they see is this arm reach in the window and pick it up and move on if they know me. Uh, and yep. they've got to trust that the back end is taking care of their security for them and they, the, the barista just worries about making a good cappuccino. There's some other trends I want to just quickly circle back on. Though. I mean, um, when we think about some of those big things that you were talking about there, I mean, as you said, VPNs are not a panacea for, for security across the line. I mean, too many companies I see are treating VPNs like just a very long, thin virtual Ethernet. And, and they just assume that once you VPN into the office, everything's good. So I think the work you're doing now around bringing the semantic version into the space to look at application level is so critical because it is so easy to think, oh, I'm on the VPN now. It's like, oh, but as you said, you've got the entire broad lateral deep access to the network and generally if it hasn't been structured properly or segmented. And, and people just have this f- f- sort of false sense of security that, oh, my laptop's on a VPN or whatever or whatever, you know. And then you've got to assume that they've got a screen password and that times out and, and you know they don't leave it at a cafe and go to the bathroom while it's VPNed in and there's all of those sort of mobile users distributed user uh, workforce environments but there's also the other end of the spectrum from a platform point of view there's been some big changes that I wonder if we can delve into I mean you know the mainframe is becoming a very agile open source nimble platform people are using you know sort of the same approaches to developing code now on the mainframe as they are for let's say third-party clouds or public clouds um uh, even I'm even seeing now some trends around you know mobile app development methodologies we're using for building apps that sit on our smartphones. People are now looking at them being treated as cloud natives um, and just you know containerized apps on a phone because both platforms of the both major platforms of phones consider apps to be in containers. That's effectively mm-hmm. what's happening in the mainframe now. So some of those changes must be bringing about some significant 
uh, demand for refocusing on the security aspects on how are the apps being containerized and deployed? How are they being developed in an agile form? Uh, how is this business logic being deployed and what security aspects come in? Because, you know, once upon a time, open source was not allowed. Now it's, it's a, a new normal. Uh, and, and Broadcom leads one of the most exciting open source projects on the mainframe. Um, uh, you know, these, these are big shifts as well that you must be seeing your clients and customers and so forth having to deal with, not just uh, in the traditional mainframe space, but across the organizations of what happens when open source comes into our world and what happens when we move to more agile development environment? What happens when we treat everything as an API, uh, as, as sort of cloud native? How, how's the industry coping with that, those sort of disruptions in, in your world around security? So that uh, I love that you brought these topics up because something that's very important, whether you're talking about open source or you know API access to the mainframe or containerization um, on the mainframe, um, et cetera, et cetera, um, none of these models, believe it or, or not, are actually that new. When we look at, you know, you can look at con- running multiple containers on, on a mainframe, you know, these virtual machines on the mainframe, they ran for years and the security models had to be built around that to cope with these multiple independent virtual machines that still need the same centralized strong security model, right? So it's just a matter of extending that to, you know, a different type of virtual machine that's that's running there. I know that's a clumsy way of putting it. Right? That's perfect. I mean, um, LPARs are a virtual machine, really, right? Exactly. That's exactly right. Yep. Yep. So, um, so, so it, we've just been extending these models with the same kind of central security model that has been proven. It's highly trusted over the years. Um, the other aspect, you know, you talk about Zoe, which is critical. When we went into Zoe, when IBM and Rocket, etc., went into Zoe, security was top of mind right yeah of course uh, and 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 again the the external security managers you know the acf2 top secret racks right on the platform um, that's the central model right now you know we certainly have you know open source access from other platforms <clears throat> excuse me um, but the, the the services that provide the security that authenticates whoever's connecting from off the platform, it ultimately ends up going through the security managers, you know, ACF2, top secret, RACF. So we still maintain that central trusted um, security model as we evolve the platform to, you know, open source, containerization, you know, new APIs, everything else. Now, one thing that is evolving is that, um, you know, you can keep this thing very secure, Right. Um, but I can also it, it can be cumbersome sometimes to authenticate. So to go over that, to maintain security, but also have a very streamlined access for, you know, application on one platform to an application on the mainframe. You're seeing now a lot of tokenization support happening on the mainframe. So I don't have to physically authenticate. I'm passing tokens back and forth. So, you know, us and IBM are evolving that model on the platform as well. So so everything is evolving to maintain the level of security, but also improve the usability, the connectivity, um, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, I mean, it's exciting um, what's going on. I mean, I, I love, you, you know, so many of these new and standards-based technologies that are are being being brought to the platform you know standards around containers and tokens and and everything else you know when we talk about tokens 
you know, it's, you know, it's all the, you know, all the usual suspects, you know, standardization, you know, SAML and all these different things. So uh, it is exciting times. And the, I mean, these are no strangers as far as these domains, if you'll pardon the pun, um, uh, uh, I mean, as far as access management and, and so forth is concerned. I mean, you've got a whole range of, of, of off-the-shelf products, if you like, that already address some of these key challenges around when you think about um, the whole secure access to cloud space, you know, whether it's something, as you said, whether it's coming from an application that's talking to API or whether it's talking to some sort of terminal interface or whether it's talking to a web uh, layer, um, you know, if I go to my internet banking experience, I could go to the app on my phone, I can go to a website, I could be using a third-party product that has access to a banking interface, it could be going via Swift, it could be going via the FPOS backend, it could be going direct. Um, yep. You've got a range of products already, though, that, that, have, that have had long pedigrees of dealing with all these issues within the mainframe domain directly, but also now encompass all the spaces around those. Um, I wonder if you could sort of touch on some of those key products that, are, that have been there for a long time and now sort of, from what I can tell, being extended to, to wrap their arms around in a positive sense in this, the sort of the more distributed workforce space and the distributed app space and certainly the cloud models that are being applied. Yeah, I mean, just uh, just simple access controls, you know, transforming to, to role-based. But, um, you know, a particularly important area um, for for us, let's say on the, on the mainframe has been on the data side, right? And and that was you know something you know that uh, was very effective on the distributed space that um, we adapted on the mainframe um, to to really. It's all very well saying, you know, I'm going to restrict access to this application and uh, this this database, etc. But I don't know whether, you know, restricting database A, database A versus B or C, right, is more important, right, until I understand the content, right? So having the security around that, the, the visibility into how sensitive certain databases are, et cetera. All that is critical. So to give that level of insight, give that level of understanding as we refine some of these access controls. So that's been a big evolution in some of the controls that we're making available to our customers now is to, is to understand their environment and therefore in a far better way, finally tune their their access controls with an understanding of the environment they're doing it for. So that you you know that that that's kind of a key aspect to it. Another evolution, I've, and I touched on this a little bit earlier, is so never mind just understanding the landscape, but understanding the 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 user groups, right? The people who need access. Some of these are off platform. Some of them are on platform. Um, and having an understanding of is this user that's connecting privileged do i need to add additional controls additional monitoring right so that's all there as well right i understand um you know des coming in he's one of my privileged users he's a db admin you know if something goes horribly wrong in the mainframe he's the guy that i need to bring everything back up again he needs access to everything but it, it, you know, he can do a lot of damage if um, uh, if he makes a mistake. And I know you don't make mistakes, but uh, <laughs> I but, certainly do. You know, <laughs> if he makes mistakes or or anything like that, so there's a lot of controls that I need to to put in place, and more coming. Right, there are interesting controls um, that we have. Um, you know, that are looking more at behavioral analysis of days, and I want to make sure that. If you have an off day, I notice you have an off day because, you know, your your behavior's changed. And I want to flag that and say, you know, hold on, I may, I may prevent 
uh, future access until we check yeah check what happened here etc right so so these are you know key areas so understanding the data understanding the users making sure we have the necessary controls to keep all of that you know tight nice and tight and secure and monitoring you know monitoring what's going on now um, as these users access this landscape that we better understand now um, and then a key piece of this where are the users coming from I, I want I want to know that because it's all very well to say I've got an ID Des that just logged on and he authenticated because he had the right password, um, but that isn't good enough for me anymore. I want to know is Des on his iPhone or is he on a laptop with an encrypted hard drive, right? Because when he pulls data from this mainframe. I want to know where it's going. Is it going to an encrypted hard drive or is it going to an iPhone? Also, I want to know where, where you are right now. You know, I may not be allowed to send you um, private, you know, uh, personally identifiable information if it crosses a geographic border. I want to make sure I know your IP address is in the same country that I am and things like that. So it's much more than just understanding that ID. I need to know your device and your location and all of that so that I can adjust um, your level of access and what I can send you, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And I guess this falls into some of the stuff we're seeing now around some of the latest updates around the mainframe resource intelligence space that um, you know, you've got to be so much more aware of who's using what and where from. And, and, you know, and we see this where um, a number of applications now say, oh, I noticed you're now in Germany today and you were in Sydney yesterday. You know, can you just confirm this is you? And some of them yep. do it through two-factor authentication. Um, and I guess this also falls into kind of what you've been doing for a long time around that whole mainframe security center space as well. Um, as, far as, as, as far as the business world is concerned, I, I imagine there's a very positive response to what you've been doing for, for a long time in this space, but how it now has effectively been able to very comfortably wrap its arms around the, 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 the very big changes in many ways to sort of moving to cloud models or mobile uh, working environments or mobile workforces that are out in the field doing things that they might have sat at a desk originally to do. Mm -hmm. um, do you think the organizations are um, uh, making enough use of what you have available? I mean, I think one of the things that I see around the space is there's a, an assumption that the mainframe is secure and, and, and she's all apples. Do you think organizations are pivoting to adopting some of these capabilities across the organization with the mainframes in the back end through other parts of the business? Or uh, is there still some work to be done there as far as awareness goes so that they know what this means and how they can best leverage it? Some of the larger um, or many of the larger leading organizations are certainly you know, adopting uh, adopting these technologies, right? Yeah. Um, um, I, I, I think there's still, you know, there's still a journey, you know, for, for other customers. But but what is critical here, I think, is they need to understand, um, you know, where they have gaps in order to move forward, right? They're not going to fill all of them. They need to understand, you know, where their priority gaps are. You, you brought up um, MRI there. And actually, this is a good segue um, because that that's that's one of these um, that's one of these offerings we have for customers. Um, and you know, we can give a free assessment in the beginning. And what MRI does, I mean, MRI, you know, you know, in the medical industry, magnetic resonance, right, is yep. uh, really kind of gives you that scan and it gives you a view, you know, internally what you can can't really see from the outside. Well, you know, our MRI. 
very similar, right? But it's for the mainframe, right? So it's doing that mainframe resource intelligence. It's really, and we do it from a security spec perspective as well as many others, but let's focus on security here. And we go in and we look, um, just use this uh, assessment to help our customers uh, understand or you know, basically make them understand, right? Here's where you're configured wrong. Here's where you have some key risks, right? You're not following certain best practices from a security perspective in data security, in access control, in privileged access management. So all these different areas. And we give them a report. And in that report, we say, you know, you've got seven high critical security risks. You know, you might have 11 medium and about 23 low risks. Well, that helps them one, understand, um, you know, it gives them a security assessment, but it helps them understand where are my critical areas that I got to fix now, right? And that once we do these assessments with our customers, it makes them much more aware of the gaps that they have and, you know, and the level of our portfolio to help them fill those gaps. So it, it, it is a journey, right? We're not going to do this overnight. Um, but that's one of the key steps that we're going through now with, uh, um, you know, a lot, a lot of our other customers that haven't you know, necessarily adopted all of these technologies. Right. So it, it's yeah. critical to yeah. understand where the, the, the top priorities are, the top risks are before we do that. Yeah. And I imagine, you know, so many organizations now are dealing with that whole, you know, celebrity customer experience and the customer disruption. You know, one of the biggest things I'm seeing now in boardrooms is that organizations are still really trying to come to grips with the idea that once upon a time they'd release something new that would disrupt the industry and disrupt customers and, and provide new great things. Now we're seeing that the, the, the world's being flipped on on its head, as it were, and, and customers are driving to disruption. They want a better level of experience. They want a more immersive experience. They want a more personalized experience. And this is driving a whole range of changes that organizations may have been a little bit on the back foot on. But one of the things I'm seeing here is that organizations are now realizing they have to automate most of these things you're talking about. They can't just have someone sit there with a checklist on a clipboard and go, yep, we've got passwords. Yep, the database is fine. They've got to, uh, you know, um, orchestrated and automated processes to look at some of those data insights and look at the compliance and look at the reporting and, and report on that state on a real-time basis and, and, um, you know, and at scale and at speed. Um, I imagine that organizations yep. in our community are saying, well, okay, we, we, we need this. We need you to help us with this automation process. We need to orchestrate the, the gathering of the information. We need to get these insights in real-time or quickly, and we need to map that against our compliance um, this must be a, an exciting time for you guys because you've been there for a long time for companies that haven't necessarily had that for some time and now need it to be there and be ready and willing and able. Um, what's that whole conversation space look like currently and, 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 and what are some of the key steps that people have to go through to get to that point where they've got that level of automation and orchestration of getting those security and data insights, whether it's in their security compliance directly or, or also in your database world? So you uh, pick on another interesting topic. Um, um, Automation in general, okay, okay, I'm biased. I think automation is more important in security than it is in any other area, and for 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 a number of reasons. One, um, we certainly get skills eroding um, on the platform, so where customers in the past were quite happy, oh, I've got plenty of people, I've got plenty of very experienced people who know what they're doing and they will do the the right thing every time right as those skills erode you, you want to be able to automate certain tasks that does it the same way every time and it's the right way so, so that's critical as you have 
you know, newer people coming on board and trying to learn this platform. So the more automation you have and automation of doing the right things, the less risks you have from a security perspective. And so we, we've certainly obviously known this for many years and been working on this. And, and we introduced that into all aspects um, of security um, so that, you know, you don't have to have an operator running something. You know, like one of the things I talked about earlier was <clears throat> You know, understanding the whole data landscape, you know, where is all this sensitive data? Where are the minefields uh, when it comes to data? I don't want to have to go manually run scans. I want to be able to automate this. I want to be able to fill a repository that I can look up and say, all right, um, I'm about to archive this data set. I, um, you know, should I encrypt it or not? Right. right. Is it sensitive? Is it otherwise? Right. But but I want that all to happen in the background. I don't I don't I can't afford to have someone uh, doing that manually frequently. So all of that stuff um, has to be automated. And as you're populating that repository that really, let's say it gives you the map of your 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 data landscape. Right. Then other tools. And, and this is important. Right. A lot of people think that security is the responsibility of the chief information security officer. Um, it isn't, right? Security is everyone's responsibility. So if I work in the storage area or I work in operations or I work in networking, you know, I have a security responsibility too, right? But, you know, I can't go check with the CISO every time I go do something. I need to have the, the tools, the automation so that when I, let's say I'm in storage and I'm, you know, I'm about to archive something, right? I want that automation there that says, you know, when the archival process starts, it goes to the repository. It checks what I'm archiving for me and it automatically encrypts it if it's sensitive and it doesn't, if it doesn't have to. Yeah. Right. So all these pieces. So where I have different domains like networking and storage and operations that don't necessarily have those skills, by having the tools and the automation underneath the need for a lot of those skills. So that's why automation is so critical and the adoption of that is critical to better security uh, in the long run. And you've certainly got a, a powerful and deep suite of, of, of products that address this, whether it's your compliance event manager, your trusted access manager, the auditor for ZOS, uh, and you've got a whole bunch of other tools that do you know, content discovery for, for data in general and database in depth. Um, all the way to, to automated cleaning up of various issues that you essentially are able to sort out problems at file level, environment level, application level. And I, and I think, you know, as you very rightly said, the, the complexity of these environments are such that human error comes about just naturally because we're all humans, we get tired, we make mistakes, make typos. Um, and there's never going to be a point in time where we don't do that. That's just a reality. I think anyone that pretends that's not the case is being extremely naive. Um, and yep. taking risks they don't need to, but it's also a case that um, whether even if we don't make mistakes, uh, you know, for the example I used before, if, if I happen to be in another country, I actually want the back end to tell me that that's there and assure me because I, you know, a lot of people complain going, oh, it's asking me for two-factor authentication in another country. Well, actually, I like that. Or you know, I even had a scenario the other day where I bought something different. I'd never bought this particular thing. I'd bought it for a different place. I won't get into the details of that. Um, and a human from the bank rang me because it was a fairly large spend, and I was like, how'd you know that? And obviously the back-end system had told them, right? And I'm sure that came off a mainframe because it was to do with my credit card. And I explained that to a neighbor and a friend literally across the road from us. 
And she's like, well, what a nuisance. I said, no, 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 no. Because imagine if the bank didn't ring me and that person drove home in the thing I bought, <laughs> they bought, uh, and it wasn't me. Like, you know, and it was interesting to see the reaction yeah. where they thought this was a hassle. I'm like, are you kidding? Like, what would you do if that chunk of money vanished out of your card and the bank didn't ring you because the platform didn't tell you? And I think this yep. goes through all the things, whether it's, you know, compliance to auditing, uh, compliance to checking your security. And I like now the fact that you're actually wearing the hat of the database space because you bring that same depth there. I wonder if we could maybe talk about some of the additional pressures that the mainframe environment's under, because I know when we think about some of the challenges you've outlined so far, I mean, they, they are things that we've seen for a long time and organizations are still and, and often coming to grips with some of the key challenges, and certainly when they cross from sort of the distributed computing and desktop space into the mainframe world now. But there's some new emerging technologies that are also bringing new pressure to the mainframe space. And, and whether it's sort of, you know, the... the the big topics like 5G and IoT and, and other spaces like that that we sort of hear a lot about in the media, underpinning all of that is a lot of additional devices creating data. It's a lot of different types of data. It's a lot of data moving very quickly. Um, there must be a whole range of new pressures that you're seeing being applied to the mainframe environment, environment that are exciting because there are new opportunities to develop new types of business, new types of services, but also probably fairly disconcerting in, in a certain way that organizations haven't necessarily anticipated that this whole new pressure on the environment, particularly with what IoT is going to do and what blockchain's been bringing about. I wonder if you could maybe give us a quick insight into kind of some of the new pressures you're seeing from some of the new and emerging technologies and, and how you know, Broadcom's mainframe divisions and, and your own team and security and database are dealing with some of these. Yeah, so the, um, again, hitting important areas, there's no doubt that the traffic that's hitting the mainframe now is significantly higher, right? Um, you know, you talked about, you know, 5G and the number of devices and everything else. And at the end of the day, when we're when we're running transactions, right, the, uh, you know, 80% chance uh, it's it's got a mainframe at the back end. So that is bringing many, many more users in. Uh, they have to be authenticated. I'm not letting anyone on the mainframe without that level of authentication. So not only are you driving the transactional um, traffic, you're also driving the traffic through the security systems and everything else. And I, I'm, I'm not going to expose anything, but I'll say some of the models in the past that have allowed you know access from other platforms onto the mainframe have not been optimal, right? And this is the reason we've, you know, we we've been introducing you know token based authentication and everything else rather than have a lot of these single ids that all this you know extraneous traffic uh, comes through um so you know we're seeing that go back to your point earlier you know many many more containers uh sitting on the platform so what that drives actually is another interesting model in that applications that have typically run on other platforms because of the way we can port the you know because of the way we can run these containers and port these applications up there, we've got applications that have in the past been alien to the platform too, right? Right. Um, so there are a lot of changes that we're working with our customers to help them understand, you know, some of these models, again, we've got to continue to drive the the traditional trusted security model, you know, that we have been for years in the mainframe. I'm not trying to do anything, you know, off-platform. And and the reason it's important, uh, uh, there's no better platform. Okay, I'm biased again, right? But there's no better platform um, for securability. That's one aspect of it. But security performance, 
right? This is critical. Um, you know, we've got some of our uh, big customers in the financial services industry, right? They are, you know, whether you've got ATMs connecting or mobile devices or everything else, right? They're hold, uh, they're hosting an enormous number of security authentications by the platform. And, and I'll give you an example. Um, over a trillion uh, security transactions uh, over six months. Now, you you know, you do the math on wow. that. <laughs> that's frightening. Okay. That's, that's just, now, if you're running that 24-7, that's just under 100,000 per second, right? Yeah. There, there, there really aren't other platforms that can handle that. So that's the other thing that, that you're seeing is as more of these devices require secure transactions, the security really has to be handled a lot of it on the mainframe because it's the only platform that can handle that level of volume and still give response times and everything else. So a lot of it all, you know, 5G, many devices, you know, a lot of different technologies running on the platform. But I still see the mainframe being at the core of handling uh, not just not not just the financial transactions, but the actual security aspects of it, too, um, for, for, you know, for many good reasons. But, you know, some of these statistics are staggering. Well, it's you know the interesting thing you raise there is, <clears throat> is we see in the media all the time that I mean a classic here in, in Australia is we had uh, a census um, a scenario where a new platform was introduced to run the census on uh, twenty thousand people hit it a minute and and the thing went to sleep for a while and then it was offline for a while. If you've got a hundred thousand transactions hitting any platform, doesn't matter how well it's engineered, it's going to hurt. To sustain that for twenty four hours or more is a lot of hard work. To sustain that for a month is mind-boggling to do it for yep. a year with five nines level of uptime and so forth you know if you've got when we think about 5g it's always about you know lower latency higher throughput high bandwidth um there's going to be a lot more devices connect to it we see a lot of people talking about things like moving off wi-fi and onto 5g in places where you know manufacturing and robotics being used because there's limitations on you know 250 odd devices on a wi-fi access point under 802.7.11x um etc on 5G now, we'll be talking about millions of devices um, and lower mm-hmm. latency. Yep. Uh, and that's just in controlled environments like you know, manufacturing plants or factories and, and, and robotic spaces where we're building cars or God knows what. Then you take that out to the edge of the network, as we call it, which is where there's all these autonomous devices, autonomous vehicles eventually. We've got mobile phones and, and, and mobile devices and, and laptops. The order of magnitude is so great now that, as you said, there aren't that many platforms that are going to be able to sustain that, no matter how great you are at building uh, public cloud platforms. Because um, the reality is the public cloud does have outages. And if you've got a critical yep. space like a, a, a robot running around a factory, you can't have a public cloud go down and your robots have to pause for a while. And you've got to have that, that capability to ensure that, that all security and compliance is there so that that heavy device doesn't run over somebody. Um, do you think that the industry as a whole, I mean, industries as a whole, are they ready for this big change? I mean, I know that the mainframe platform has been for a while. It's certainly that the Broadcom mainframe business division and your team around security and database has been. You've been doing this for like decades. Um, do you think that the other end of the space, and I know a lot of businesses are all well-intentioned, but sometimes these big emerging technologies catch them out. Um, do you think the conversations are being had at the moment, and, and I know you're dealing with this on a day-to-day basis in your role with customers currently, but is the bulk of the world ready for this change or uh, are they sort of coming to you and having these conversations yet or is there still a bit of work to be done around awareness and education to make people aware that these new emerging technologies are going to need some focus and attention and they should be having these conversations with you now rather than later? 
there's um, I, I wish I could say there was extensive awareness, extensive preparation, but there isn't. Right. right. I mean, I can you know, you can pick a few industries and even, you know, some of the big advanced customers in those industries, I feel comfortable you know, are ready, they have enough foresight to see the changes that are taking place and what it's driving and the pressures it's driving on, you know, on IT and business in general. Um, I would say that the those customers, those businesses that are prepared are in the minority right now, right? There's still a lot of preparation and just a lot more foresight um, that's needed. You know, we we spend enough time, you know, talking to, you know, our core set of customers that, that we talk to regularly and they're cross industry, right? You know, but there are some key ones, whether they're in financial yeah. services, retail or, you know, even the airlines and stuff like that, you know. Um, but again, I would say the minority of them are really truly understanding um, the changes that are, are taking place and, you know, putting some of the preparations in place to, to do that right now. So we we need a lot more conversations. You know, we need uh, a lot more awareness, you know, in our, our, our own broad customer base and even beyond that of, you know, what's happening and, and what's there to take advantage of today. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's a positive to highlight that. And I think a lot of people are often guarded about uh, highlighting the fact that we're not quite there yet. Uh, and there's a lot of assumption that, you know, things are all good and somebody's taking care of it. The other interesting thing that, that came to mind as you're saying that is that, like, you know, it's very healthy for the various industries and businesses to, to give themselves pause for thought and say, well, you know, when did we last check our compliance? When did we last check our data security? When did we just check the compliance of our database environments? What do we know about our platforms? Or even if we don't own a mainframe, uh, the mainframe systems that we've got access to that we have apps running on, what do we know about those and, and who are we talking to? So I think it's great to hear that, that, that you know, it's okay to say that we're not quite there yet and, and we have those conversations and, and also the fact that you're there ready and willing and able. I, you know, for, for listeners, my advice is to pick up the phone and talk to your, your nearest partner and part of the ecosystem around the whole uh, uh, mainframe partnership within the Broadcom world and Broadcom mainframe business unit because you're ready, willing to, and able to have those conversations and, and they should be happening sooner than later because these big disruptions are going to potentially create some interesting uh, security and, and data challenges, whether it's data compliance and governance, whether it's privacy. I mean, GDPR in Europe has sort of caught a lot of people out. Um, you know, now's the time to get on top of these. I know we're coming up on the top of the hour. I, I wonder if we could sort of. Um, one of the things I love doing with my customers, and 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 you're always good fun to do this with. Uh, certainly, when we had you on camera in, in, in Pittsburgh the other day, is your ability to sort of look at the long term trends and challenges that are coming up. Um, and often I do this in the form of asking my guests to sort of gaze into a virtual crystal ball. Uh, Stuart, if I was yeah. to hand you a virtual crystal ball and say, you know, in the next three to five years, um, it, it does sound like a long time, but then, you know, we're moving very quickly now in, in the world that we live in. And some of these big and new emerging technologies are bringing about some substantial changes, at, you know, as you said, IoT with you know, not just millions and just billions, potentially hundreds of billions of of, of devices coming through with trillions of transactions. These are eye-watering numbers, but yet you're doing them already. Um, when you think about the sort of the medium to long term in your world, which I guess is really three to five years, um, when we think about some of the challenges around what's happening in the spaces, as you mentioned, like you've got some exciting new capabilities around integration with semantic, you've got some big changes coming around the world with likes of quantum computing, new types of encryption, data protection, there's all kinds of privacy concerns. Uh, I wonder if, as a final wrap-up, if you could maybe just give us a sense of what you're seeing, given your privileged position and, and view of the world, because you know, your amazing role gives you so many great opportunities to get insights that we don't normally have as individuals ourselves outside your world. 
three to five years, where are we going? What are some of the big things that we should be thinking of? What sort of things should we be aware of that might be coming over the horizon? And what are some of the takeaway actions that people can sort of have, you know, even in the virtual sense now on those, whether it's a water cooler conversation in the hallway or at boardroom level, that they need to be aware of and thinking about that uh, you could potentially share that they can now take away an action and, and, you know, whether it's pick up the phone and talk to you directly in your team or one of your partners to sort of get ahead of the curve and avoid some of the risks coming up. You know, th- th- this is always a great, I mean, I, this is my favourite years to talk <laughs> about. And, and it's not, and, and you know, and, and one thing I, you know, I don't, everyone loves to dream, right? We, we, we can't dream about this stuff. So we have to base it in reality. We have to, I have to be so on on some activities we have going right now and how I foresee them evolving um, and how they align with some key trends over the next three to five years. Now, I'll go back to a point I, I raised earlier or a word I raised earlier, which was insights. Um, and insights are, are critical. And that's a key area that is going to involve is having better insights from a security perspective. And, and, and let me tell you why. Because we certainly have, um, you know, several detailed tools that really fill gaps around a security lifecycle, you know, whether it's, you know, data security and or monitoring or access control or whatever, right? All that's very good. Companies don't have the ability now to have specialists in each one of these areas that can, you know, 100% utilize those tools, Right. They, they just don't have that luxury anymore. So these tools, they produce enormous amounts of data. They produce enormous amounts of very good data. Um, what our customers need and what they're going to get over time is the insights into that information. So let, let, me, let me give an example so that you can, you know, people can make sense of what I'm, I'm saying here is, you know, I, I, I might have one tool that shows me what, what user, you know, a user has access to database X. And uh, I can also run a report that says, oh, and then here are the users that have access to database Y. Okay. Um, but I, I, I don't want to be able to do all these individual steps, right? I want to understand, well, first of all, uh, do I care more about the users that have access to X versus Y, right? I want to be able to say, you know, just give me a view of all the users that have access to the sensitive data, right? Now, that's not as easy as it seems. So, the you know, we're developing the systems over time that gives you that level of insight, runs these reports for you, right? That's, that's one stage of it, right? And then the other piece is, you know, I might want to say, and by the way, how many of those users have never used the ID? Probably some, some guy retired three years ago and his ID sitting out there with access to some of the most sensitive Right. of data you know i want to know i want all these insights and i want the insights because i want to understand my risks don't tell me that um you know i've got uh, you know i've got 15 users that have access to inoculus data i don't care about that tell me where my risks are so these are the level of insights so that's one stage where this also needs to go is again with the erosion of skills based on those insights what do i do about it because I, I, you know, I may not have the skills in my organization to read a report and understand how risky is that and how do I fix those risks? So it's about insights and then driving the appropriate recommendations, right, based on those insights. And, and even take it a stage further, 
right? It may even be automating those recommendations. I've now given you the insights. Here's where your risks are. By the way, you know, the top three risks we need to address right now, please just push this button and I will drive all the recommended actions to fix this, right? So so the, these are the areas that need to be done because we're trying to address this erosion of skills, Right. We're trying to bring in automation because it reduces risks, because the more intelligent the system is, the more it's going to do the right thing, even better than we can. Right. Um, at the end of the day. Right. And um, and then, you know, I've mentioned this before um, with you is also this whole idea of just understanding our users and their behavior. Um, and and uh, and using that understanding to make sure that there isn't anomalous behavior with our users, because it's all very well that we set up policies that says, you know, um, you know, Des has access to all this sensitive data. But if I find that, you know, in your normal course of business, you access, you know, this data set twice a week or once a month or whatever, and then suddenly you know, you're accessing this multiple times a day and downloading thousands of records from it. I think I want to know that. Indeed. Right? So, so, so having that intelligence that's not just about understanding is are things configured properly, but are, are our users, you know, behaving in their normal way or is there anomalous behavior? Because, I mean, that goes back to one of our biggest uh, risks that any security report nowadays will show you that the majority of breaches happen um, because of what we call the insider threat. Now, the insider threat doesn't necessarily mean it's an insider that's gone bad. That insider could have had their credentials hijacked by an outsider, by a you know, yeah. malicious attacker, right? So, you know, I do want, so what happens when Des's credentials get stolen? Yeah, the behavior changes. I want to be able to know that very, very quickly. Right. So these are, you know, some of the other areas. So I think, you know, having the insights, recommendations and even getting to the stage where we automate, um, you know, all these recommendations on how we fix security risks is going to be a critical um, evolution in our industry, as well as, you know, really having the intelligence around behavioral analysis, et cetera, um, are some of the, the key areas. Oh, it's an yeah. interesting space it really is it is in fact the thing that really jumps out at me is, is a phrase that i keep seeing uh, in in blogs and articles and posts coming out of the the mainframe division inside broadcom is actionable insights which you've just touched on very very nicely exactly. there um because it's great to get those insights and the reports but then what do i do on it and i, I think you've just touched on all of those nicely well Stuart, it's always great to catch up with you and i love the amazing insights uh, if you'll pardon the pun there that you share with us and certainly some of the updates you've just given us around what's happening in the world around both the mainframe space and security, but also what's happening in the database world. And I love the fact that they effectively now dovetail perfectly with both you and your role and the group that you run, because I think that's, that's such a critical component of it. And you know, I think all the things that we're dealing with now are going to give us pause, um, to, you know, a moment of pause to sort of consider the types of things that we're doing and, and the, the types of things that we want our backends to do. Uh, I just love the fact that you guys are uh, guys and girls are there to, to look after us. And for listeners, I would like to invite everyone, uh, once you've um, caught your breath and, and, and absorbed all the insights that Stuart's just shared with us, to jump on Broadcom.com and under products, go to Mainframe. And under there, in particular, uh, in Stuart's world, there's a couple of spaces, particularly Mainframe Security and Compliance and also uh, Mainframe Database and Data Management. Um, and in those spaces, you'll find some enormously valuable resources, whether it's just articles and blogs or product information. 
Um, but if you just simply go from the top of the bottom of the pages, it'll take you through a journey of sort of the, the, the key highlights you need to understand and get your head around all the way through to the products and services. And then uh, obviously a way to connect directly with the team to, to talk about some of these products and services and capabilities, even down to professional services to just have a conversation, some advisory support to just where do we start. Stuart, again, great to catch up with you. Um, glad to hear that you and your crew are safe and, and, and trust that will continue to be the case. And we look forward to seeing how things uh, ease out of our current situation around the world. And certainly your team's a better position than most because of your global experience to do that. Um, and congratulations on the amazing challenge of juggling both the uh, product management for security and compliance as well as the mainframe database tools portfolio. I think that's a, a heady challenge, but you've got broad enough shoulders to manage that. And uh, we'll be very excited to see what the next sort of three to six months uh, through the rest of this year is going to hold, but also the next three to five years, you we just outlined, which uh, you know, I think we're, we're on a good path and we're in a good position. And certainly you and your team are going to be there to make sure that we continue to be so. And uh, I really appreciate your time. I do too. It's a pleasure. It always is a pleasure, Des. So thank you for your time as well. And I, I look forward to the next one. 